This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, Tonga Rugby Union celebrates 100 years of Test Rugby as it looks toward a big month of football ahead of the World Cup. We're in discussions at the moment and we will be hosting more Test matches over the next few years. Meanwhile, the Solomon Islands futsal side give Australia all they can handle over a three-game series in Sydney. And in all-Pacific, Australian rules showdown between Nauru and PNG ends in a nail-biter. So when we came in, we just do our best, play the ball, that's why we win. That's mentality. Yeah. That's our mentality. mentality. Awesome scenes there, and we'll bring you all that and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans, so glad to have your company. But first to netball, where despite being one of the lowest-ranked teams, the Fiji Pearls have no intention of being easy beats when the Netball World Cup gets underway later this month. They will be one of two Pacific teams travelling to Cape Town for the tournament, the other of which being Tonga, who they will face up first. Tonga will be favourites when that commences on the 28th, but CEO of Fiji Netball Vivian Costa says the Pearls are ready, following a training block against professional New Zealand club, the Central Pulse. I mean, the Pulse were preliminary finalists for the ANZ Premiership. And so they sent in some of their members. I think five of them made the Silver Ferns. So, of course, we didn't have them here. But, yeah, it it was just some intense training matches and learning opportunities for all of our players. And it was just fantastic. You know, they're they're a fantastic group um, and have already told us that they'd be back whenever we need them. So that's uh, we've created a wonderful uh, relationship there. No, that's good. I guess those uh, that that intense training, it's probably hard to come by in Fiji, isn't it, with the elite countries sort of so far away? Absolutely. And one of the things that we we have is that the majority of our team are actually locally based, and so they play within the local competitions. We do have five, I think it's four players, sorry, who are based overseas. Um, and, of course, you know, Kalera Nawai Thao who's actually in the ANZ Premiership in New Zealand, so she would be our most elite player. Otherwise, it's it's really local based and, and we've got wonderful training partners in the Fiji men's team. So ha- to having a team like the Pulse come in and, and also work with us uh, was just a, a great uh, opportunity. Now, you mentioned a little bit earlier that the girls left for a, a team bonding session. Can you tell me what uh, what that's going to entake? So they've gone up to Nomosi, which is the, in the highlands here on Vitilevo in Fiji, and it, it's completely unplugged. So it's really uh, about getting back to nature. They're staying by a, a river. They will be doing things like working in the, the gardens early morning. I don't think they know that just yet, but also just an opportunity to bond with each other and bond in nature uh, and just being unplugged. So we've got a selection of, uh, you know, card games and board games that they've taken up with them to uh, to keep them occupied and, and have some uh, friendly competitive spirit going on in terms of Monopoly and playing last card. And fishing in the river, which would be incredibly cold, uh, but that that type of stuff. And just clarifying for the listeners, when you say unplug, that means uh, no devices of any sort. Is is that right? No devices of any sort, <laughs> and it's really because there's no electricity. So. <laughs> 
at that most basic level, there's no electricity, so you, it's no point having your devices, and there'll also be no internet access anyway. Now, you guys named the squad uh, about two weeks ago. The pools have been named as well. You'll be uh, up alongside Australia, Tonga, uh, and Zimbabwe. What do you make of, uh, of the pool and the competition you're up against? You know, we're fully aware that it's it's a tough battle. We're the lowest ranked of the of the three, uh, or of the four. Sorry, we of course have played Tonga before, and, and you know they are on an incredible roll, mm. and we acknowledge that. We do have the advantage of having played them before, so we have an idea of how they play. We've never played Zimbabwe, and and we have played Australia, but you know Australia is number one in the world. For us, it's really about taking every game as it comes. We're not looking beyond that. So we've got our first game uh, against Tonga on the 28th. We're going to take that game, do what we need to do there, and whatever the result, we then put that aside because the very next day we've got Zimbabwe. You mentioned some of those experienced names before in uh, Clara Nawai and obviously uh, uh, Maria Latua, who I've heard her name getting around Australia and New Zealand as well. Are there any other young and up-and-comers you're excited about uh, unveiling? Oh, look, we have about seven athletes who will be going to their first World Cup. And for us, that's incredibly exciting. Most exciting, I think, of that group would be the fact that we have an 18-year-old, Elena Andrikenbao. She is in her final year of high school and somebody who's just worked consistently and has gotten herself into the World Cup team. So we're excited for Elena and about Elena because we, of course, have tracked her and we've seen the improvements and the great strides, really, she's made. It will be exciting to see what happens at the World Cup and how she fares there. At the other end, like you mentioned, Maria Lutua. Maria is actually going into her third World Cup. And we have Unaisi uh, Rauluni, who's also going into her third World Cup. And you mentioned uh, the ranking before, but it does sound like there is still some experience there to to definitely uh, be competitive and make a fight of it. Just um, more broadly, how is the health of netball within Fiji at the moment? Is this tournament a chance to, to boost the game at all or anything like that? it always generates more interest because it's a World Cup. So internally, there's definitely interest in the team and in in the games themselves. Uh, Having said that, we internally have also worked consistently over the year, uh, or two years rather, to grow the competitions that we have. So we've really gone from one one and two to about seven now. Uh, And this is national level competitions. And the idea behind that is that when we grow our national level competitions, we grow our player base and we grow our athletes. And so it's something that we're actively working towards, just recognizing that we need to offer those higher level games that we talked about earlier uh, and higher level opportunities to our athletes. Uh, So even though they may not be overseas and, and playing at you know, in the SSN or in in ANZ Premiership or or whatever uh, league there may be, they are playing at a a reasonably good level within um, and they're in a good position when they make the national team and are playing international test matches. And just lastly, first game against Tonga uh, on the 28th. Are are you anticipating a a bit of a, a Pacific grudge match with that one? I, I think so. I mean, and, and that's just the, it's become the norm now. Um, and Tonga, of course, has won every game that we've played against them. So definitely have an advantage in that respect. But, you know, what a great way to start the, the tournament. They've called in some uh, very experienced hands in Monia Gerard and Kath Latu. So all we can do is just do our absolute best and take it from there. 
Yes, CEO of Fiji Netball, Vivian Costa, speaking there. And speaking of Tonga too, the Tala, they entered a closed-door training camp this week in preparation for the World Cup. Their expectations will be somewhat higher given their stellar form over the past 12 months, and they've emerged very much as the dark horse uh, in that competition. So we'll, we'll try our best to get someone from the Tala on the show next week. To Rugby Union now, where a big month is shaping up for Tonga as it celebrates 100 years of Test Rugby. The Kingdom's national team, the Akale Tahi, will host Australia A on the 14th in Nukualofa in what will mark the 50th anniversary of the team's 1973 win over the Wallabies. It will also mark an important hit-out as the team prepares for the upcoming World Cup in France. ABC presenter Agi Tupo caught up with Tonga Rugby Chief Peter Harding to talk about the upcoming match. We've, we've got this game together. We've been working on it for two years. What has happened is we've engaged with the Exekalitahi. They haven't been active for many years, probably more than 20. By getting this game up, it stimulated all the Exekalitahi to start to get involved and start talking to each other and start having meetings. They've formed what they've called the Akalitahi Club, and that Akalitahi Club has organised, they organised a ball last week to raise some money so that for their activities, but they also... Uh, were presented to the King last Saturday, which is a fantastic event because they bring a certain amount of heft and mana to the table and that's really going to help Tonga Rugby in the future if they continue to be involved. Mm. I mean, what have been some of the major milestones uh, of Tonga Rugby Union? Uh, well, this one this one in particular, we, um, we're just celebrating 73. There is a little bit of argument over whether the first test was 23 or 24. The record's are a little bit um, a little bit hazy. Uh, they beat, we beat Fiji 9-6. But uh, there is a 100-year anniversary either this year or next year. We're just trying to sort that out. But uh, we've, we've organised for Fiji through World Rugby. It's been good for that. And it, it potentially Fiji will come and play here next year um, to celebrate that 100 years. But as I said, the record's are a little bit hazy. Mm. So we're just trying to work out whether it was 23 or 24 at the moment. But still, it doesn't matter. It's 100 years since we our first Test match and 100 years of Tonga Rugby, so we'll celebrate it like it's this year. Absolutely. I mean, going forward, what does Tonga Rugby Union hope to achieve, let's say, in the next 20 years? Probably we're the most unique nation in the world, as you probably know. We've, we've got the smallest nation, the smallest GDP. We're a tiny little place, but we produce the best players in the world. So somehow we have to leverage the ability of the players into a position where we can properly look after the players and give them opportunities. We, we don't have a great deal of commercial clout. We can't. There's just no way for us to, to generate that commercial clout. So really... We live off the back of the quality of our players, which keeps the union alive. So we have to <clears throat> make sure we can do something to honour them. Um, probably the first thing that we need to do this year is we're going to the World Cup. Unfortunately, we've been drawn in the group of death with two, two best teams in the world in it. But still, what we need to do is requalify for the next World Cup because by requalifying, then that opens up the uh, resources that we need to run a proper union and to run the other teams that we run in the men and women's game. Let's be honest, would you like to host more test matches? We're in discussions at the moment and we will be hosting more test matches over the next few years. Um, we've done a pretty good job with Oceania and World Rugby to get those test matches coming across. We've got to do some work on the stadium, which, which is happening at the moment. But if we do have 
test matches here. And it'd be good for the country. It's good for the people, good for the economy, and definitely help us put a little bit of money in the kitty. We don't make a lot, any, a lot of money out of these matches, but the thing is it just raises the profile and keeps us in front of everybody. And talking about, you know, having to raise the profile, you know, we saw Samoa host Moana Pacifica Napia earlier in the season. Could Donga one day do that? Well, we should be doing it next year, let's face mm-hmm. it. Moana Pacifica is a, is, a, is a Polynesian team, so if um, Samoa got it last year, then no doubt the Tonga should be getting a match next year. They they represent us and they've got a lot of uh, Tongan internationals in here, so it really is their responsibility to bring a game here next year. Mm. And if Australia Ray can come, Canada can come, and we potentially have two test matches here next year, if they can come, then Moana Pacifica should be up here as well. Yeah, with Australia A this month, followed by Canada, the significance of that, I mean, how important are those games in the lead-up to the World Cup? Well, originally we had a game um, against Maori, but unfortunately they um, cancelled their program. But mm. Australia A has stayed in play the whole time, and it's a very, very important game. You've seen the quality of the team that's coming up. Then we'll have uh, Fiji, um, Japan and Samoa, and then two games against Canada before the team goes to France. So... I mean, that's a six game, six quality games that we'll, the team will have under its belt to gel and spend time together. So it's just essential that we get games. I've got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm more invested in how we honour the 73 players that are here. Two of the Australian players that played in 73 coming up. The team will do its business, but we want to make sure that the, the men that were around at that time get a um, honoured in, in the right way. And, and what, what is that really going to look like, though, Peter? I mean, uh, uh, is the majority of the men back then, are they still alive t- today? Uh, well, we've got five men mm. from the Australian, uh, from the. Tongan team, there's not a lot alive. There's a few alive overseas and stuff, but they're all on in wheelchairs, etc. cetera, mm. uh, so they couldn't make it. But we do have a number here, and we've got two guys, Australian rugby, sending up two of their guys. So it's going to be nice. And the Australian government is um, putting on a, a, um, a function for us at the High Commission afterwards. So it's, it's, going, to be a, it's going to be good. Um, what's, what's the feel from the community been uh, thus far? Do, have you sort of felt everyone's on board with the celebrations? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like we just had 15 months ago, we had a volcano and mm. five tsunamis, and then we had COVID. So it's time. We've got the Miss, uh, Miss Halala's on, church conferences on. Tonga's full of people. And the whale season's open again. So Tonga's absolutely full of people, and people are, are wanting to bit of, you know, stretch out and have a decent time. And this is going to be a, a very integral part of it, I think. That was CEO of the Tonga Rugby Union, Peter Harding, chatting there to ABC presenter Agitupo. And staying on rugby for a second, Fiji will play Italy on Sunday in a ninth-placed playoff at the Under-20 World Rugby Championships in South Africa. It's been a tough tournament so far for the boys who have gone winless uh, in their first three games, so let's hope they can uh, notch up a win there. Pacific Beat. It's Friday, July 7, and you're listening to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Kyle Evans, and happy Friday to you all out there. I hope you're looking forward to a great weekend, but stay tuned for now because we've got plenty more stories coming up. We'll learn about a new plan to forge a pathway between Tonga and Australia's top rugby league competition through an annual schoolboys tour. We'll also unpack the Solomon Islands Futsal Series against Australia, where they recorded their best ever result. And the ABC sits down with with soccer superstar Mary Fowler.
It's that time of the morning where we jump around the islands to look at what's making headlines around the region. And to do that, I'm joined again by producer Abby Tupo. Abby, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you, Kyle. I think it's Aggie. <laughs> oh, did I say Abby? Oh, I'm so sorry. Aggie Tupo. That's all right, Carl. Very sorry about that. And you are obviously the, uh, pr- producing today, but you will be the uh, presenter from from Monday. Yes. Now, first, let's go uh, to Samoa, where there's uh, a bit of a nasty drug is uh, taking hold, it looks like. Yeah, unfortunately, reports of a very growing issue in Samoa is, of course, the use of the drug methamphetamine, uh, better known as meth. Uh, there is the Salvation Army team leader for addiction services, uh, Seilival Agu. Stino Senior says it's more available than marijuana these days and the impact on the communities is growing. Um, he's adding that addiction is everybody's business and the country really needs to have a serious conversation to find solutions to battle this. Um, he's saying that often those who don't seek help are in denial. So, yeah, so it's a big, big problem. Um, often, I suppose, our Pacific Islands are used as the middle ground for sort of importing and, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, it, it is a very nasty, nasty one, that one. It really does chip away at communities, and not mm. just in Samoa, but uh, but all, all over the world yeah. there. Um, let's move on to uh, Papua New Guinea, where there's there's been an update uh, on mm. that training exercise that went terribly wrong. Yeah, well, of course, the Defence Force training exercise that, uh, you know, claimed the lives of two soldiers is now going under a very thorough investigation. Uh, this is uh, about the immediate lead-up to and the aftermath in order to understand what actually happened. Uh, there have been sources uh, that have been spoken to the National, this is care of the National, um, uh, sorry, media there, uh, confirming that there were no proper checks actually done on the ammunition and some of the firearms. And also the men who discharged the firearms were allegedly under the influence of alcohol, escaped, uh, I think, immediately after the incident. So there is obviously... uh, you know, the police and investigation is trying to find the men that were uh, responsible for that shooting. Yeah, and a, a very important investigation by the mm. sounds of it to, to take place. We obviously got the latest on that yesterday from yes. uh, from our um, uh, uh, correspondent in PNG, Tim Tim Swanson. And again, our, our hearts go out to the families uh, Absolutely. of those soldiers. Can't imagine what, what they would be going yeah. through. And uh, and finally today, Aggie, uh, we've got uh, some news out of the Solomon Islands with the uh, the SIBC, the Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> yeah, so 80 athletes from Solomon Islands are actually on their way to China. Uh, they're going to spend 90 days of intensive training, and this is basically to help prepare them physically and mentally for the 2023 Pacific Games, which is going to be held back in their homeland <laughs> in the Solomon Islands. Uh, interesting to, to read up was the seven sports that they're going to actually represent. Uh, they have said that it's quite a strategic move because it probably gives the nation the greatest opportunity Mm -hmm. to maybe like you know get some medals Um, and so they're going to be competing out of the 24 uh, sports events seven of them are athletics boxing judo swimming table tennis taekwondo and weightlifting yeah, okay. That's, that's interesting. I can remember reading a reporter a little while back um, yeah. basically saying that the Souls, their goal was to win something like 30 gold or 40 gold medals or yeah. something like that. Very lofty expectations. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, look, you know, I mean, you're going to play, play to win. That's- that is it. So, yeah. So, 90 days in China, though. That'll be interesting. That, that will. It's, it's, um, yeah, I can't wait to see, uh, to see, to see what, the, what that training yields them. Yeah. Uh, Aggie, that's all we've got time for today, but uh, thank you very much for joining us on Newswrap. No worries. That was Aggie Tupo joining me there. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia, hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. 
I'll be spinning my favorite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip hop to house music from across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fallen, Fridays at 4 p.m. PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Well, a plan to forge a pathway between Tonga and Australia's top rugby league competition, the NRL, is underway with Tonga's top up-and-coming schoolboys embarking on a first-of-its-kind tour of Australia. The 20 Tongan players faced off against Manly's under-16s development squad and the West Tigers as part of a two-week tour. NRL scouts were also in attendance with hopes of uncovering a future star similar to the likes of Ilyasa Katoa and Conrad Hurul. And according to Tonga's NRL game development manager, Tavake Fangupo, they might have found them. It's the first time sport has started back in the Pacific Islands since our tsunami and obviously before COVID. So this was a great opportunity for kids to travel to Australia to showcase the, the local talent at that age group with the opportunity of uh, seeing some scouts and a potential school scholarships that will help the kids' families back in the Pacific Islands in Tonga. Yeah, it sounds like a, a great idea and I'm sort of interested in exploring that. I, I read that, you know, guys like Ilyasa Katoa, they've moved from Tonga to New Zealand, taken up rugby union scholarships before making the switch. Is this initiative just basically about really establishing a strong pathway from Tonga straight to the NRL? Yep, yep. I mean, there's a perfect story about Ilyasa Katoa, you know, Conrad Harrell, Solomon Carter, they name a few local boys who've come through this, through directly from the Pacific Islands. So very similar to, to, to sort of that pathway is, um, you know, very hard for the kids to, to get recognised being based in the Pacific Islands, but being able to sort of bring them over here, play a few games against some um, NRL clubs or junior teams with the approach that hopefully that we uh, can get some scouts to look into the kids for potential scholarships. Are these the, the best local schoolboys players uh, in Tonga? Correct, yeah. So this is the best of, the, of that age group that play in Tonga, um, that participated in that competition. So, yeah, just bringing over the best kids um, over to sort of showcase and hopefully, uh, you know, the tour, we, we, we get some opportunities. And I understand they'll be here for about a month. They'll be playing a, a number of games. Uh, I believe there was actually a game on July 4 against the West Tigers, uh, if I'm not mistaken. H- how did they go uh, in that? We, we've already played two games. Our last game was actually against the West Tigers, and unfortunately, we went down to the Tigers, and obviously they're a very strong team. Kids have been playing for for years together. They have good systems in place, uh, but it was a good good way of measuring our kids. Obviously, coming from the Pacific Islands, trying to build rugby league, uh, it's a new game for them. But yeah, they they sort of uh, fell short. But uh, overall, great experience uh, for the kids um, to take. And uh, were you happy with the performance that they put on and the way they competed? hundred uh, percent. I mean, you know, um, the, the, the staff, uh, local staff and, and what the kids have learned over a short period of time, learning the game and, and, and putting their best foot forward, you know, they're definitely proud of them. There's obviously a lot for improvement, but that's something that uh, we, we were looking to back in the Pacific Islands is getting more coach development, more support around, um, you know, educating kids on, on rugby league and more programs. But for the short time and, and coming straight from the Pacific into a country where Rugby league is, you know, within their number one sport, you know, it was a tough ask, but overall the kids uh, did well. Well, we've seen what Tonga can do in in recent years at an international level. They've been, they've had some great success uh, in the World Cup. In some ways, they might even have been unlucky not to win one. Did NRL scouts, did they take notice of this tour and and come out and, and have a look at the boys? 
Yeah, my most definitely. We'll be very fortunate, Cole. I mean, uh, as of today, we've already received uh, you know a few offers uh, for some kids um, scholarships, um, which which is very exciting for this program. It just shows that um, you know that um, if we can invest more on our grassroots programs back in the Pacific and have more regular tours like this here annually, um, and if we're getting sort of you know four to five kids getting school scholarships to come here and you know, showcase and obviously better their families' lives and hopefully be a potential NRL player, most, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fantastic success. And when you say scholarship, so this would be an opportunity for, for kids to essentially come over to Australia, live in Australia, go to school here and, 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 and what, have a, have a club essentially um, put a roof over their head. Correct, yes, yes. That, that, that's, those are the opportunities that have been put forward for some of the kids where they've been attached to junior NRL clubs, also with the, um, you know, getting uh, school speeds paid for as well as accommodation and, and being looked after, uh, which is, you know, one of a lifetime opportunity. If it wasn't for these sort of tours, these kids or their families would never get that opportunity, um, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, we're very, very happy and very, very, um, you know, blessed that, that we've been given the opportunity for this for these kids and hopefully um, in the future we get more kids who come through the same pathway. And just lastly, before we go, uh, I understand girls began playing uh, organised rugby league in Tonga this year. Uh, are there plans for a girls tour of Australia in the coming years? Yes, that, that's one of our talks at the moment back in the Pacific Islands. The first time historically that school, um, school, school girls rugby league first started, which was fantastic. And then off the back of that, hopefully we try and build the women's with a girls' school uh, program back in Thailand, and then that is something that we're discussing now with clubs in Australia, whether we can bring a girls' team over here. Obviously, with the success of the NRLW now being a professional sport, there's a lot more pathways. So hopefully, you know, um, our girls back in the Pacific Islands also get the opportunity as a boys uh, through the NRL program. Yeah, Tonga's NRL Game Development Manager, Tavake Fangupo, speaking to me there. And speaking of Rugby League, the PNG Hunters are back at home this week where they will face off with the second-placed Burley Bears in the Host Plus Cup. They currently sit one game out of finals contention, so they'll be wanting to uh, to win that one. But it will definitely definitely be a tough game. The, the Kaiviti Silk Tails, meanwhile, can put their feet up. They have a bye in the New South Wales Ron Massey Cup. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Now to futsal, where it's been a big week for the Solomon Islands national team, who were in Sydney for a series of matches against Australia. It was Australia's first match on home soil since 2018, but they had to work for a win against a feisty Souls team who forced a one-all draw in the first of three matches played in Sydney. The result marked the best ever result against Australia, much to the delight of head coach Damon Shaw. We'd always like to get a win. But we also know the challenges and the level of Australia. So to get the draw and perform in each game, I believe, progressively better. That was the aim all along and, and the result was was a nice extra. And I, I think we deserved it. And I think we probably deserved something more out of one of the games as well. But the focus was never on results for this trip. It was always about progress in the three games, competing against higher-level opposition and preparing for the World Cup qualifiers in October. Yeah, well, you, you scored that equaliser in the 32nd minute uh, in that first game. Were, were there moments where you, you, you sort of thought, you know, we, we could steal this one? Oh, absolutely. And, but I think the last four or five minutes, Australia did have most of the territory, at least. And not, not particularly the best chances, but... They had a lot of chances up near our goal and it was quite nerve-wracking towards the end and we were just defending for our lives at that moment, Trent, knowing that the result was was historic and you know we could maybe nick a win if if the ball breaks for us. But at that point, it was just trying to preserve the result and 
you know, make the first positive step on the trip. So, so yeah, it was quite nerve wracking. We thought we could have won it. We definitely, other things happening, you, you can definitely win any of these three games because they're so tight. Well, not only that, it was Australia's first home game, I believe, since 2018. So it, it would have been an emotional atmosphere for them. Did the stakes seem pretty high? In that first game, yeah. I think both teams were quite tentative and not wanting to lose. And yeah, to be honest, it's really nice to see Australia back in back in futsal and hopefully taking it seriously from now on. And, you know, this event's... I hope it's a kickstart for for them. And, but yeah, that first game was was tense. Yeah, it was it was a really, it was it was an exciting game. It was nerve wracking. I I was on on the edge most of that game. I calmed down a bit the second two games, but that first game and then especially towards the end when we're trying to hold on to that result. It was it was emotional, it was tense, but it was exciting. Now, I know you lost the following two games, but it was still, a, like you said, a, a, you know, a trip well worth taking that you got plenty out of. I understand the boys met the Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Was, was he in attendance in the first game or something, was he? Yeah, he was. The whole event was around the opening of a new venue, and that's kind of where the discussions for this game started. But it was there before the game met the players, uh, first opportunity and... And yeah, it was the whole the whole day was a really nice atmosphere, family family sort of environment. What's the the next step or the next major tournament you're preparing for? Is it the Asian Cup? And we play the Oceania Nations Cup, and the winners of that will qualify for the 24 World Cup. How do you rate your chances in that? All the other nations in this region are catching up because Solomon Islands have been on top for for the last four World Cups, the last four qualifiers. Um, New Zealand won the last edition, the last I think it was last year, 2022. New Zealand won the Oceania Cup, which wasn't a qualify for the World Cup. So we know they're going to be raring to go and, and competitive. The other nations like Fiji, Vanuatu, Tonga, they're all catching up the level because in any sport, the, the top two teams will, or the top few teams will always get caught slowly, slowly, slowly. And you know the progress, the gap, will, the gap will always get close and it's getting close in this region. That was Solomon Islands head coach Damon Short speaking to me there. Well, international Australian rules football games are rare at the best of times, even more so when Australia isn't playing. But that's what happened in Brisbane this weekend when the under-19 men and women's teams from Papua New Guinea and Nauru faced off against each other on Wednesday. For many in the Nauru squad, it was their first trip off the island. But that didn't stop both teams from causing an upset against PNG, who were considered the benchmark AFL nation in the Pacific. Here is what Nauru's captain, Ikiyako Wadabu, had to say afterwards. Congratulations on the win. Yeah. It was a beautiful comeback. Can you tell me how it's feeling for you right now? Hey, and this and is how so excited. You feel about your boys? Hey, we all excited. We enjoy our game. Can you believe you came back from being the underdogs and um, trailing in the first half? Tell yeah. me about how did you do it? Last corner, we just fired our team, took each other. So when we came in, we just do our best. Play the ball, that's why we win. That's mentality. Yeah. That's our mentality. mentality. Yeah, some fantastic audio there, courtesy of the ABC's Ali Almond. And watching the match unfold was Ben Drew, who is the AFL Pacific Development Officer. He spoke to our ABC reporter, Jan Kahoot, after the match. When you look at the populations of both countries and how many people play, and it was it was a quite an upset, but... You know, in saying that, Nauru, AFL Nauru and their academy have done amazing work in establishing themselves in the last 18 months and and the work that they've been doing for many years in Nauru um, 
that the you know, AFL is the national sport of Nauru and they're very, very passionate about the game. So although it wasn't upset, it was always going to be a close game, both games. Right. And how did it unfold? I understand the boys came from behind. Uh, well, the, in the women's game, it was a very tightly, tightly tight contest. And the Nauru women's team were in front at the final siren and the PNG girls had a kick after the siren to win and fell just short. Uh, and then in the boys' game, yeah, the Nauru, the young Nauru men uh, rallied in the last quarter and kicked three three goals to come from behind and they kicked one with about five seconds remaining and that was the end score, one by points. Great. And so how was the atmosphere like? Um, were there a lot of Nauru team supporters uh, cheering on? Well, both, both the PNG and Nauru communities were in great support for their teams and they were, were fantastic supporters across both games. And we had a we had quite a crowd come down to the Oswald Centre down the Gold Coast and it was yeah, very well received. It was, it was a great crowd. So in your opinion, why do you think AFL is so important popular in Nauru? In my oh it's it's been their sport. Uh, I think the first game of AFL was Australian football was played in nineteen ten in Nauru. It's got a a long and wealthy history, and the and the Nauru population really embraced and loved the game, and they've got a really strong passion and history across the island. Each each district is has their own club um, and their own their own colours aligned to a Australian football team in the AFL, and they and they're very passionate about the game, and and both male and female females have recently, and everyone's been really chipping in and driving the driving the standard, over, especially over the last five to ten years. And so did the AFL scouts attend the match? The game was live streamed, so whether the scouts were in attendance or any of the official clubs have um, obviously had the game on playback and also the game was streamed, so they have full access if they wish to watch. Great. And uh, the recent success of PNG's ace um, Oya with the Gold Coast Suns, uh, did any players show similar potential? Well, I mean, the beauty of our game is there's a role for everyone within our within our game. So you know, whether you're tall, short, it doesn't matter. So there was, of course, there was quality young men and women out there uh, last uh, yesterday afternoon, who you know were fantastic in their endeavours and play, and showed tremendous potential, and to, you know to gain opportunities if if they arise. Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add from the from the match that you saw? And uh, look, the games were fantastic, and both both um, countries have done a tremendous job, both AFL PNG and AFL Nauru, in in preparing and and supporting their young players. You know, it's been a it's only the second time a lot of these players in the last you know three four years have been able to leave country to come and play. So you know, as we keep building and growing, the quality will continue to grow. That was Ben Drew, AFL Pacific Development Officer, speaking there to the ABC's Jan Kahoot. 
Well, Mary Fowler, you might have heard of her. She's fast becoming a household name in women's soccer and will be one of the brightest young stars taking the field at the upcoming FIFA Women's World Cup this year. She made her Matildas debut, which is the Australian team, as a 15-year-old and now plays for one of the world's biggest clubs, Manchester City in England. However, she's also of PNG heritage. Her mother is from PNG, I believe, and has spoken often about her connection to the nation. She caught up with the ABC's Tracy Holmes this week. I want to find out first, where does football sit in the list of things that are most important to you? I don't really see myself as as just like a footballer, but at the same time, I think football, because it's it's basically my life right now, if the football's going well, then a lot of other things go well. Um, So for me right now, it's like, it's really important, probably up there in top top three things. Um, I'm actually like injured at the moment and I feel like since I've gotten injured I've just had a renewed love for it and I've just decided to put even more energy into it so for me right now it's 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 up there and it's really important to me and obviously a lot of my day is just surrounded by football um but yeah I just feel like I have a renewed connection to it. So you say um it's in the in the top three can you tell us what the other two might be? I'm just trying to get a sense of the, the, the whole person that you are. And mm-hmm. I think people, you know, would love to know. Of course, they want to know more about more than just the footballer. Well, so football, my family is really important to me. Um, and, and then I think for me, like that, the third thing is just kind of like balance. Like just I'm still young and I'm, you know, I just want to, still be able to do things that you know 20 year olds do at my age um so as much as the football is important off the field and being able to enjoy my time while I'm on this earth is is really important to me as well so speaking of that being 20 and having already traveled all around the world and having lived and moved in to different cultures speaking different languages uh, having that support network of your family around you um, does it make it harder to think about a full life given you've done so much already? Like, how, mm-hmm. how do you set what comes next? How do you keep setting a higher bar and a higher bar and the next goals that you want to achieve? You know, I think as time goes on and I get, I mean, I'm young, but as I get a bit older, um, you just realise more and more how fortunate you are to have this lifestyle um like I have been able to travel so much with football even on a you know day-to-day basis like the way that my day is structured is so different to my friends back home who are doing uni right now um and I just like you know often think about if I didn't play football what would my life look like um and you know it would it would be so different um so I think you know for me being able to recognize all the you know, the many things in my life that I'm fortunate enough to have and to do because of football, it just makes me want to play it as as long as I can because I've been given such, you know, an amazing opportunity and I I don't want to look back and think that I've wasted it or I took it for granted um, or that, you know, someone else who's been wanting this opportunity so much and didn't get it, like, I, you know, I have it and, and I didn't do do much with it. So I don't want to be looking back and having those thoughts when I finish. 
So um, it sounds like uh, you probably already thought like that, but, you know, when we hear um, Tony Gustafson speaking about the team and how he's always encouraging everybody to be one day better, is it the same sort of philosophy? Every day is getting better? Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that, with that saying that there is something every day that you can do to, to get better, whether it's football-related or not. Um, but I think for me, like, when I speak about the future and not having regrets about it, I think balance is a big thing that comes to my mind because I'm also like, you know, I, I football is really important and it's the main focus, but I don't want it to be the whole focus because I still have a life and you don't know if the life ends in five years or if it ends in 30 years. So balance for me is a, is a big thing, being able to say that, you know, when I'm on the pitch, I do my work and, and I'm putting all I can out there to be the best footballer I can be. But when I'm off the pitch, I, I can also just enjoy my life. So there's a couple of things within that. And I guess one of them is when you play a team sport and you're part of a team environment um, and, and there's a plan for the team and you play a role within that, it's still a collection of individuals. And so how do you get that balance and, and how do you measure those parts of you that are you as an individual and those parts of you that are there for the collective? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, a team is at its best when each individual is just being themselves and, and, you know, bringing their qualities to the team um, in, the, in the best level that they can. Um, so even though it's a team sport, I think, like you say, it is also very individual like there's so much that you have to do on your own to work on yourself and to bring your qualities to the field because not everyone is the same player and you don't want everyone to be the same player um so i think it's it's kind of being able to find that freedom um within a team structure to do what you can do um because when you show up as your best self then you you know you add value to the team um so i i kind of like that about football that it's a it's a team sport but you also have to do a lot on your own in order to show up for your team. You're well known for being so cool uh, on the field of play. And I just wonder also, you know, sometimes um, that comes from a confidence in, in the inner person. But I also know that inside people with a very cool oh. exterior, there's a lot of other stuff happening. When you're cool, What's going on inside and is it going at a thousand miles an hour and are you just looking for that next opportunity and engaging what everyone else is doing? Yeah, you know, I think for me, being calm on the field is is really important um, and that comes from my preparation. I think, you know, sometimes you, you lose your shit on the field and it's like you're not, your headspace isn't where you want it to be, but for me, I've always found that if I'm like that, it's because I haven't prepared properly for something or I don't have the answers on the field for something. Um, so I think for me, like being able to simplify everything and water things down, even just, you know, the fact that we, you know, play for national team, we're in front of a crowd of people, you know, looking up to you, like, I just forget all of that. And I'm just like, there's, you know, 11, the 11 on the field and we just try and kick a ball into a net like it's it's just simple like go out there and just enjoy it and do your thing so like when I'm able to simplify things like that and then I've done the you know the right amount of preparation to be on the field and have the answers before I'm even on there 
um, that allows me to to be calm um, and you know keep a cool head when I'm on the field. Just finally, um, the more you play and the more experience you get, you know, the stuff becomes like second nature. You get used to a big football environment. You know what that's like. You know what your job is in the team. What happens when something completely doesn't go according to plan, whether it's the way you got out of bed that morning, whether it's something that happened in the dressing room beforehand, whether it's just some other issue that's happening out there that has somehow impacted on the team, how do you do your best to clear your mind and just get in the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a motto that I tell myself <laughs> probably at least 20 times a day is... Um, it is what it is. I'm trying really hard not to say it in the voice. Anyway, um, I, yeah, I just, you know, I think that no matter what I go through, no matter what kind of obstacles come up, I I always know that there's other people going through more, you know, tougher things than I am. Um, and to be in the situation that I'm in, like I'm, I'm super lucky and fortunate to be here. Um, and I just think, you know, when you take a step back from your problems, you're able to see things with more of a logical kind of standpoint. Um, and, you know, I'm someone that really believes that any experience, good or bad, is really good for my growth. And I, and I believe that everything happens for a reason and the timing of everything is always on point. So even if things don't go my way, I am able to, you know, see the see the good and the bad um, very often. And I think when you have that kind of perspective, then you always, you know, can can see a light, and you don't let things get to you very quickly because you're, you're you know, you're trusting in in the fact that you are exactly where you need to be in that moment in time. Yeah, words of wisdom for for one so young. That was Mary Fowler talking to the ABC's Tracy Holmes. And you can follow more of ABC's Women's World coverage on the Ticket, uh, Ticket to the Cup podcast, sorry, and TV program available on ABC iView. Join me, Sosafina Formoli, for On The Record, an hour-long deep dive into the music that has made an incredible range of artists from right across the Pacific. We'll discover stories behind songs of inspiration, songs of activism, songs of evolution and songs of pride as we chop it up with Pacifica musicians you already know and love and hopefully some you'll be meeting and falling in love with for the first time. On The Record, Tuesdays at 4 o'clock PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. We'll be back at the same time on Monday morning, that's 6am PNG time, with a brand new presenter as well. That's Aggie Tupo. Uh, as for myself, that's it for me. It's been great hanging out with you for the last three weeks, but you can catch me again next Friday for the Sporting Edition. Stay tuned because the news is next, followed by Nisha Daily. Again, I'm Kyle Evans. Have a fantastic day.